This is the Wildflower Bee Farm Report for Sunday, October 25th, 2020. Now, it's getting a little colder out there. I hope you're <clears throat> making all your preparations for win winter, as the bees are. Uh, and I'm going to go through a, a list today of different things, starting with the hive report. I'll talk a little bit about the virtual field trip that's now posted at wildflowerbeefarm.com. I'll talk about our wildflower planning that I'm hoping to do this week, and also sensor updates. So let's start with the hive report. Um, hives are really active so we had days where we would have two or three hours of you know warm temperature 15 17 18 20 degrees celsius the bees would start flying and it was just incredible didn't see any robbing behavior <clears throat> we um continue to see them uh you know working with a, a lot of foragers which you know i thought by now would be uh, uh something of the past there's a couple hives i'm a little bit worried about <clears throat> they don't seem to have the volume of um, of workers going on, which by that I mean while the other bees are active and, you know, and foraging, uh, and, and this hive is in the sun, the one I'm thinking about in particular, it was a late split, a late season split, so I took a bit of a chance at it, and then I had to combine it with another hive. I brought in part of another hive that was weak and didn't have a queen, so we'll see how it uh, <clears throat> survives the winter. So the the hives generally are doing well. Um, the um, sensors have been installed. I'll talk a little bit more about that at the end of this podcast. And that's becoming a lot of fun to monitor what's happening inside the hives. All the hives have entrance reducers, and I've noticed that the bees have propolized some of those entrances to even make them <coughs> excuse me, smaller in, in, in stature. So they really like to narrow that down which I find uh, quite incredible. <clears throat> a couple of the hives I noticed when I was trying to put in the sensors have such uh, so much propolis on everything. Y you almost need a jackhammer to open these up. And uh, so it's going to be an interesting spring. I think uh, in some cases, in many cases, they propolize the the um, moisture blanket screens right to the frames, and it's going to be very difficult to take those off without... Uh, you know needing some repairs on those moisture blankets so so in general the hives are doing well um really seeing the microclimate so you know you'll see bees flying in a in one area you go to another hive they're not later in the day it can be reversed it's almost as if they have their own cycle their own sort of pattern of, of behavior uh, continue to see drones being uh, asked to leave rather forcefully from different hives and Mary's doing a great job with her videography so we can see those in the uh, virtual field trips and, and try to explain what's going on. So generally speaking the hives are, have been set for the winter for quite some time. Had to go in a few times just to put in some sensors and, and many of the sensors we're putting on the inside bottom of the moisture blanket so we don't have to disturb the actual hive and that's going to give us a different kind of picture than if they were inside the hive. In the uh, top bar hives, uh, I've been able to put two sensors in, and I'll talk a bit more about that at the end in the final segment. Part two, uh, this week in the virtual field trip at wildflowerbeefarm.com, I talk about the, the bee bouncers or the bee ID checkers at the door. There, there are bees that station themselves outside of the entrance and generally are trying to uh, touch and get the pheromone levels of the bees that are coming in. 
to make sure they guard against robbers and other intruders. And so it's it's really a fascinating look at what's happening in this hive this week in the video where the, the, the bees are out there and almost like they're headbutting these other bees, getting a sense of the pheromones and being able to understand whether or not the bee belongs. Did have a video, and we'll be sharing uh, in the coming weeks, of bees actually attacking another bee that apparently was not from that hive or may in fact have been a robber. So bee bouncers, as I call them, is another sort of um, role that bees play that you don't see talked about a great deal in the literature. I'm wondering if you notice that in the bees that you're you're working with. Third episode, uh, the third section is about wildflower planting. So the, the wildflowers uh, seeds arrive from St. William's Nursery. Strongly recommend if you're thinking of, of planting wildflowers on a large scale to contact them, St. William's. And, and nursery and I believe it's ecology center um, <clears throat> we received a custom mix of um, uh, a number of uh, bags of seed to plant the remainder of our of our property so what we will be, we'll be doing is we'll have sections of the farm that will be planted in clover and other sections that will be planted in wildflowers and and over time, it will sort of uh, create an environment that we think will be ideal for pollinators of all kinds, including honeybees, but bumblebees, and all of the different natural pollinators that we need in our environment. As advertised, the white sweet clover continues to bloom, although it's quickly dissipating as we enter the frost season. Uh, we're noticing that the bees have um, gone after some of the um, hairy vetch, Still crimson clover is, is to be found. Uh, and so they are really active in those areas when they, when they get a chance. The, the, the seed was delivered on a very rainy day, and I asked the, the driver who also goes and plants seed, wildflower seed, for different people. He said that he was off to plant two acres by hand because of all the rain we received. And I said, well, isn't it going to be difficult for the seed to, you know, to, to take, take hold if it's that wet and he said well what do you think happens in nature and with that simple statement he pretty much put me in my place to realize that we, we've tried to over agriculturalize if I can or use industrial agricultural methods to you know make sure things are planted the right way and they survive and all of those things when in fact when it comes to uh, you know wildflowers and native prairie grasses a lot of times they're obviously in difficult situations yet they've survived for years until we came along and uh, plowed or used uh, sprays to kill it so very excited to get that in the ground apparently the seed has to be planted in the fall so that it can go through the you know the frost thaw cycle which activates it in the spring to grow and uh, we look forward to it now one thing i'm interested to see is that it will be messy. So when these wildflowers come out, as as has happened in some of the clover, although not a lot of it, you know, it's going to be there's going to be some what we call uh, natural wildflower weeds that come up with it. And while we can certainly use the bush hog before the wildflowers get too tall to you know help them a little bit, generally speaking, it's not going to look like a pristine soybean, corn, or wheat field. And I'm sure there's going to be some negative reactions to that, but that is how nature works. It's not perfect, but that diversity um, is what the bees do need. So hopefully I'll get on the land this week. I'll, I'll keep you posted. I've already disked it once. Um, they say you shouldn't disk it too much because the, the, you need firm a firm bedding for this um, for these seeds. And, and a lot of it is in a, a field where we had um, 
Balanza clover in another field where we had crimson clover that I chopped and disc, so that will certainly be gone uh, with the frost. Finally, on sensor updates, so I received the brood minder uh, sensors that we installed and also was able to um, be the first in the country, in Canada, to test the sensors for home accept. Um, Broodminder.com or mybroodminder.com, if you go, you can actually see sensors that are around the world that you can look at what the temperature and humidity are inside the hives because they have all kinds of implications that we'll get into in future podcasts and discussions. But um, we currently are not part of that public uh, broadcasting because we're still working through the data and how we position the sensors because how you position the sensors are very important. For example, I put a sensor in the log hive where we had made an opening for one of the home accept sensors, but it, it doesn't fit properly and it's giving us a great deal of outside because it's not inside the hive. I didn't want to disrupt and put a sensor in, in into the log hive. Um, they propolized the small holes we drilled so that the air could escape, so we really don't have a good way to measure what's happening inside that hive. So there are problems with this technology, but there's also, uh, I think, a, a, a good. the good news is we're collecting data, and we're going to be able to have that information in the spring when we think about, well, what made this hive successful? versus this hive not being successful. So that's that's an important sort of thing. Also, it helps us understand the inter- interactions between outside temperature and humidity and indoor temperature and humidity. Remember, we're measuring the <clears throat> temperature in the hive, not in the cluster, or not directly around the cluster. So the bees could, in fact, be doing all kinds of things. And it'll be interesting for us, however, to look at humidity inside the bottom of the moisture blankets and, and see what, what's happening there throughout the winter. The Home Accept is a, is a novel application of technology that's used. Just it's a, it's a company out of Nova Scotia that I'm involved with that uses technology to make sure um, seniors who choose to age in place in their homes are helped and protected with this technology. So I suggested to them that we try using the technology in, uh, in, in, in hives. It collects temperature, humidity, and movement. Uh, Currently, we have one hive, um, the tree pad hive, which is hooked up to that. It provides us with uh, great readings. Um, Looking at doing two more hives within the next two weeks, uh, we'll be able to do that throughout the winter and uh, compare it to the broodminder and other technologies out there. Again, the purpose is to look at how the different size of hives has an impact. You know, we have single, uh, a single, um, a single with a medium. We have two mediums that we'll be monitoring. Um, And so it's a fascinating look at at different aspects of the microclimate that we talk about and how that impacts bee health and bee longevity. So the sensors will be um, continually, we'll collect the data and eventually we'll post that uh, in a way that uh, regardless of what level you are, it, whether it's elementary, secondary, university, or you're an interested adult who wants to look at the data, uh, it'll be a fascinating way to um, to see how we're doing. Also looking at artificial intelligence, that's the other aspect of the home accept um, sensors. The technology will eventually learn that hive, what's normal, what the patterns of, of temperature and humidity are, and they can alert you when there's a change. But more importantly, we're, we're interested to know 
what it will learn about successful vibrant hives versus those that are, are less so. So it's all about trying to analyze what's happening in our microclimate and macroclimate and macrohabitat and microhabitat because I really do believe that habitat is a significant part of the issue and problem we're facing with natural pollinators and honeybees today. So that's that's our dedication. That's that's if I had to say one thing about this year, what we've learned in our work is that uh, habitat is everything, and that when you have great food for bees and and in an environment where they feel they can get what they need or they do get what they need, they won't travel to get it. And I think that's encouraging because. Obviously, the concern when we started on this 50-acre farm project was, well, you can't keep bees on a 50-acre farm. They can fly for miles to collect pollen and nectar. But we now know just from our minor observations of the goldenrod hives versus the white clover, sweet white clover hives, where the bees wouldn't travel 100 meters uh, to go from goldenrod to white clover, it seemed, because the, the processing of the nectar into honey... Uh, with uh, goldenrod provides a very distinctive odor that we we really had in the hives that were close to the goldenrod. The hives that were close to the white sweet clover had none of that. So, you know, it's an unofficial. We didn't open it up and look at the honey because you can tell by looking and tasting. We may have to do some of that in the spring or be able to if they have some honey left after the winter and we get into the, the new pollen and nectar season. So those are my thoughts for this week at the Wildflower Bee Farm. You have an amazing week. Remember, you can follow us on Instagram. You can also go to our Facebook page and, you know, to get the videos every week and the virtual field trips and learn a lot about bees as we are, go to wildflowerbeefarm.com. You can get a 14-day free trial. And if you like it, you can, you know, uh, register for $50 a year. It takes that gives you 52 virtual field trips you can also donate or soon you'll be able to buy t-shirts and other things that'll help us continue with our work in creating this amazing habitat for natural pollinators and honeybees have a great day i'm hank take care